Hello and welcome to Did I Ask You? I'm your host, Aaron Brinker, and thanks for tuning in to another episode. We're going to keep talking about crazy stand-up comedians this week while we talk about Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor was born on December 1st, 1940 in Peoria, Illinois, to a pretty fucked up family. His mom was a prostitute. His dad was a crazy violent and abusive man of many titles. He was a pimp, a bartender, and also a boxer. And while his dad was out pimping and his mom was out, you know, doing prostitute things, his grandma watched him, but his grandma was not much nicer. His grandma was the madam of the brothel, like she was in charge of the brothel. So not the most stable home life. His childhood was super chaotic, and he saw his dad beat the shit out of his mom on the regular. And he had to see his mom turn tricks, which really bugged him and messed him up. He even saw people, like in really high positions, like the mayor of Peoria, go and be a client of his mom. It's really messed up. He had a really fucked up childhood. He even found a dead baby in a box one time, which led to the joke, at least Gertrude didn't flush me down the toilet. He started going to the movies as a kid and young teenager because he loved the escape it provided from his, you know, nightmare home life. And it was around this time he realized if he started being funny, he could get people to like him and they wouldn't try and hurt him. And he could make friends that way. So he was late to school a lot because his parents and grandma were nuts and, you know, running bars and pool halls and whorehouses and stuff. And she made him a deal that if you came to class on time, he could do 10 minutes of slapstick comedy for his class. Which really got Richard into school I guess he started acting at community center place and he was cast in Rumpelstiltskin I think it would be hysterical to watch the Richard Pryor that got famous you know later on in his adult life to do Rumpelstiltskin and at 14 years old he was expelled then he worked at a bunch of odd jobs like he was a janitor he worked at a meat processing plant Another just whatever job he could get until he joined the army in 1958. He enlisted in the army in 1958 before Vietnam and after Korea. So he didn't really see any combat. But he spent the most of his two year enlistment in prison for cutting another bitch in a fight. He stabbed another soldier. I'm not sure why but he got in a fight and well he got cut. After he left the army in 1960, he went back to Peoria and married his first of many wives, Patricia Price, who he had one son with, Richard Pryor Jr., before they divorced a couple years later. After his military career, he started working as a stand-up comedian in, you know, like the black-owned segregated clubs across the Midwest in places like Pittsburgh and East St. Louis. And this was when he started working on an act based on the pimps, hookers, and nutbags that really was his childhood. And in 1963, he left his family and moved to the Big Apple to pursue comedy. 
around this time to start getting a little more TV time, he started imitating people like Bill Cosby and Dick Gregory. A lot of comedians will do this in the beginning of their career. They'll find someone to kind of model themselves after. But Richard Pryor took it to an extreme and like stole his jokes word for word instead of just like using his rhythm. He didn't copy everything from Bill Cosby though. Like he didn't wear ugly ass sweaters or you know rape people. And I don't think he was you know rolling around the Big Apple snacking on jello pudding pops so there's that in 1964 he got his first big tv shot when he came on the ed sullivan show and did stand up there this got him big exposure and later on it led to him performing in vegas casinos like the flamingo where he opened for bobby darren and also the aladdin casino and these were like highly coveted jobs among comics at the time they paid really well you got a steady place to live and food it seemed like a pretty sweet gig in 67 while he was performing at the aladdin richard noticed that dean martin was in the audience and looked like i don't know if he's bored per se but like he had seen that stuff with people like bill cosby and this led to him having an epiphany of why the fuck am i copying people i'm not bill cosby i'm richard Pryor. and he started doing a more authentic set which was more in tune with the Richard Pryor America knew and loved later on and it got him in trouble and he lost his casinos deal after he kinda had a breakdown after the casinos fired him he moved to the Berkeley California area for a little while where he immersed himself in the hippie culture and hung out with like the Black Panthers and other counterculture people at this time this was a great time to move to the Bay Area if you were going to because there was like all this crazy summer of love hippie stuff and it was just a really weird interesting time unlike the Bay Area of today where people shit on the sidewalk leave needles everywhere and you may or may not get hit with a brick by some skinny Antifa guy. His time in the Bay Area led to him adding a lot of like racial commentary into his act which was really observant and like really well received and funny among the crowds he was playing at but it was also very controversial because it's not what people were used to like they're used to bill cosby joking about little Ernest in his airplane trip while richard pryor is making fun of the differences between white people and black people but they didn't realize how soon he will catch on. In 1968 on Dove Records he released his first album. It really wasn't that successful. But he got a little bit better with each of his albums over time. And in 1970 he signed with Laugh Records. A comedy record label which helped him release his second album Craps. Laugh Records was small and kind of did some shady stuff. Like they tried to own the rights to his material. And he was like, caught up in a big legal battle over it for many, many, many years. And he couldn't get the rights to the info back until like right before his death. But he did eventually get them back. He released his first big album that really got him attention. That N-word is crazy. In 1973 on the little bit larger record label Stax Records. 
which went on to be a gold record as well and get him the first of three consecutive Grammys for Comedy Album of the Year. I watched a clip of a promo interview he did for this and the lady who's interviewing him is white and says she didn't feel comfortable reading the title and Richard goes, it's okay, a lot of people don't feel comfortable using the word crazy. Later on in 73, he kept getting more awards for his comedy when he won an Emmy for his work with fellow comedian Lily Tomlin on one of her shows that he helped write for. That N-Words Crazy kept getting bigger and bigger and more popular and was number one on the rhythm on the R&B charts for five consecutive weeks in 1974. He wrote Blazing Saddles with Mel Brooks in 1974 as well. And Mel specifically wrote the part of the sheriff for him, but he lost the part after one of his cocaine benders led to him waking up in Cleveland just at random, and he missed a writer's meeting. Mel Brooks remember calling him going, Richard, where the hell are you? You missed our meeting. He's like, I'm in Cleveland, and he's like, what the fuck are you in Cleveland for? Then he's like, I, I woke up here. I don't know why I'm in Cleveland. And he missed out the part of that, but he did continue to help write on the movie. And in 1975, he released another huge album with "Is Something I Said that got him a second consecutive Grammy. And for his third Grammy, his album Bicentennial N-Word won him a Grammy, making that three consecutive Grammys for comedy albums for Richard Pryor. This was when his career was really, 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 really blowing up. And he was on, like, almost at the top of his game. In 1977, he signed a deal with NBC to produce the Richard Pryor show, which was like a variety sketch comedy show. And it only lasted about four episodes. Because, well, Richard Pryor did not mesh well with, like, primetime network TV, and he didn't want to censor his jokes. So he just did four episodes. To fill characters he needed he used a lot of really young comics from the comedy store who later on became legends like actual icons like he used people like Robin Williams and Argus Hamilton who we talked about a little bit in the same Kennison episode he's been the host he's been the MC he's been one of the MCs at the comedy store for like 45 years I think he performed there last night even he's been up there a long time he was on top of his game. He even hosted the first season of Saturday Night Live where Lorne Michaels had to have him use a five-second tape delay where he couldn't film it live so they'd have time to bleep out any cuss words he could say. And he had to keep all of this hidden from Richard or he'd be like, fuck you, I'm not doing this show. And in November of 77, Richard had a heart attack due to his heavy drinking and drug use. This dude loved his coke. Man. Nobody could freebase like Richard Pryor. On New Year's Day 1978, Richard Pryor shot at his wife's car in a heated argument during a party they had at their house in California. And he even referenced this in his special Richard Pryor Live in Concert, which you can still see on Netflix. I've watched it. It's pretty good. I recommend it. In 79, as I mentioned before, he mentioned he filmed Richard Pryor live in concert, which was a pretty big success. He got to release it in theaters as well as albums, which was rare for comedy at the time. 
And before we continue, I just wanted to talk about how I thought it's interesting how he had a connection to the comedy store. Like, anytime he was working on a new special, he would come to the comedy store for a few months at a time with like a couple of ideas. And he'd maybe do a few minutes the first day, find what works on the first night, and try and compound and build on it for the second night then he would build on it even more and so on and so on that way after a few months he'd have a whole hour set that he could do and this really was great for comics who were dormant at the time like Sam Kennison who we talked about and Mark Marin and just a lot of different people he really helped put the comedy store on the map in the 80s as well as the late 70s early 80s kind of I just thought that's interesting to see how much that one specific place is connected in so much of comedy's history here's what Richard Pryor is probably known for best in 1980 while he was filming the movie Stir Crazy Richard, Power, Richard Pryor was doing one of his freebasing fiestas you know doing that booger sugar and he poured himself, he covered his body with Bacardi 151 rum and lit himself on fire and ran down the street for like a good mile and a half or so till emergency services could get him to the hospital where he wound up having to do psychiatric treatment. This was a really dark time for Richard. He seemed like really depressed and burnt out, but he didn't stay away from comedy for super, super long. I think he was working on his treatment then once he started feeling better he started working on his next big special Richard Life on the Sunset Strip that one he for sure worked out at the comedy store cause that's one of their facts on their website later on that year he signed a movie deal with Columbia Pictures where he made movies like Brewster's Millions and See No Evil Hear No Evil, along with more serious movies like Superman 3 and Jojo Dancer, a movie based on his freebasing incident. He kept making movies, no, softer movies throughout the 80s and in 1990 he was sadly diagnosed with multiple sclerosis or MS which he referred to as more shit and before too long had to start using a wheelchair. But this was wearing on his body but not his comedy. Bobby Lee, who's a pretty famous podcaster and comedian, he hasn't really made a special but he did Mad TV back in the day, remembers wiping his nose and helping him on the stage. But once he got on stage and had the microphone, he would just murder. His last TV appearance was in the late, maybe middle 90s. He was on the Norm MacDonald show. And he had some minor role there and he kind of was having a more low-key life toward the end of his life where he passed away on December 10th 2005 from his third heart attack at age 65 he passed away very very young but I think all the drugs and cigarettes and beer and just his heart partying kind of caught up to him a little bit but man what a life he lived he inspired so many. He's widely regarded among comedians and just people alike to be the best comedian to ever do it. He's inspired so many people like everybody from Bill Burr 
to Martin Lawrence to Chris Rock to his brother Tony Rock to Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy has been on record as saying Richard Pryor was his first big comedy influence in like his mannerisms on stage and how he delivered jokes. But he didn't like copy his jokes word for word like Richard did with Bill Cosby. He was a legend and is one of the best to ever do it even to this day. That's going to do it for this episode of Did I Ask You? I'm your host, Aaron Brinker, and wanted to thank every one of you for listening this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a good review. Maybe share the episode with your friends. Tell them about the show. If you like it, maybe they'll like it too. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as like our Facebook page, Did I Ask You with Aaron Brinker, as well as follow our Instagram at Did I Ask You Podcast. Until next time, I'm your host, Aaron Brinker, and I'll see you next time.